Hello, and welcome to another episode of What's on the Pile. Joining me is Shane Lee. What's up? And Jenner. Hello, internet land. <laughs> Tonight, we check out two of the more recent culty Wicker Manish movies, Midsummer, an A24 release about a bunch of grad school kids traveling to Sweden to get sweeted, where they are soon introduced to a weird culty commune through free drugs, followed by Apostle, the story of Dan Stevens obliterating an entire cult through drug, drug addiction and misery while searching for his kidnapped sister. Uh, let's start with Midsummer, uh, which was on my pile, and I don't think it was on either of yours. Uh, no, I had actually seen this one, surprisingly. I, uh, I saw Hereditary when it was on Amazon Prime and was horrified but impressed. And uh, <laughs> when this one came out, I was my, my friend Mike recommended it to me. He said, you've got to see this movie. It's wild. And then his wife, Danielle, texted me and said, do not watch this movie. I am, this movie traumatized me. It's so sick. It's disgusting. <laughs> do not watch it. So I, uh, well, okay, when, um, when I go see horror movies in theaters, I like to go on opening night. I like a big crowd because, like, the laughing and the, and the yelling and stuff kind of diffuses it for me. When, this, when I got around to seeing this one, it was, it was playing on, like, a Tuesday night and it had been out for, like, a month. So I was facing an empty theater and two and a half hours of this. So I opted out for that, that particular day and then caught it later on video. But, yes, I had seen this before. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I had a similar experience to yours uh, with Hereditary uh, rather than Midsummer, which unfortunately I didn't catch in the theater. But uh, Hereditary, uh, Jane was out of town and uh, I had uh, the afternoon off and uh, I'd, I'd heard about it. I'd been wanting to see it. And so I ended up catching a three o'clock uh, matinee. I think I was the only person in the theater <laughs> that was not a nice movie to come home to an empty house afterwards. Uh, but uh Midsummer, I, uh, I, uh, I had, uh, I had Jane getting my back when we saw it. Uh, we caught it, caught it right after it came out on video. Uh, this, this, it was not on my pile in this case. The director's cut, however, uh, which I've had the uh, the British Blu-ray of uh, for a while, uh, I had not gotten around to seeing. So that was what I ended up watching uh, for uh, this episode. Thirty more minutes, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I read about what's different. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, do you? Did you have, so you haven't seen it yet, Jenner? No, no, I I, I saw the director's cut. Oh, you did. Uh, it uh, it definitely leans into the anthropology a bit. Uh, does uh, I- include the memorable line, which I don't think was in the theatrical version. It can you can correct me if I'm wrong here. It was a little while since I've seen it. You're just a bunch of opportunistic anthropology students. I I don't remember that line. You know, I think it's unique to the director's cut, but yeah, no, uh, one of the things that it has is a bit more of uh, the anthropology students doing anthropology student stuff, like, you know, research and uh, that sort of thing. does have uh, some extensions to uh, some of the more violent bits. Uh, it has a pretty substantial, I think, extension to the semi-climactic uh, sex scene, uh, as well as an uh, additional you know, ritual that uh, the uh, that uh, the uh, co- uh, the commune people the communists uh, go through at one point. I believe it also hints at how Connie is killed. It's that second ritual you're talking about. I th- uh, well, no, not not uh, in in that bit, but uh, there is uh, there is a little bit more of an indication as to what's going on there. We had to okay. go- we had to Google that. Uh, to figure out what happened to her. Uh, she was drowned, apparently, off screen. 
Okay, in that case, that that does uh, that does make sense as uh, a uh, yeah no that does gel with the uh, the extra ritual. Sorry, I had a you know complete you know blue screen there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> me me happens. personally, not the computer. The computer's holding up. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I am of the opinion that another thirty minutes would be too much in what I think is already a too long film. Um, I did not particularly like Midsummer for a number of reasons. Uh, but I think the first one that really set me off and pretty much to- told me what I would be getting out of the movie for the rest of it was the beginning, uh, using bipolar as a trope uh, in order to create the sense of, ooh, crazy sister who would be willing to kill her parents and herself because all bipolar people are like that. Just throw the word bipolar out there and you're good to go. And that really bothered me. Yeah, on rewatching, I I liked it the first time I watched it. Rewatching it again, I didn't like it quite as much. And I also suspected Nate that you would hate this movie. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't sound like you hated it, but it, it definitely doesn't sound like you enjoyed it too much. Yeah, yeah, I I I did not particularly care for the uh, for the bipolar uh, line. But aside from that, I liked this the first time that I saw it, and maybe it's just sort of the more room that. Uh, the director's cut kind of gives everybody. I think this movie is a freaking masterpiece. Uh, I, I I think it's one of the best movies of the decade. I disagree. Uh, that's that's okay. We allow that here. Um, <laughs> I, I think this is a first. Actually, we're usually so chipper about all our movies, and and I'm fairly fairly down on this one. But you're fairly up on it. We'll we'll see. Let's let's see where we go with it. Um, yeah, I think I think I'm in the middle. I I liked it okay. Well, I, let me say, I didn't hate the movie. It it held my attention all the way to the end. But once I saw that single trope, I started, I, it was like I could see the bones of the film. Uh, after, after seeing the bipolar thing, I started to see everything that was going to happen and just started guessing at what was going to happen. Like, for instance, the suicide scene of the two, uh, old, the older couple who are going to kill themselves. Um, that scene is so drawn out. It is so drawn out. And from the from the first couple of shots, you can tell, well, there's a cliff. Somebody's going to fall off it. That's probably the old people they mentioned, because what happens after you turn 72? Oh, I guess the old people are going to plummet. And then you see a guy with a hammer behind them, and you're like, oh, that hammer's going to come down on somebody's head. So probably this one of them is going to survive it and have to be bashed in the head. And so that scene lasted almost 10 minutes, and... Within the first 30 seconds, I knew exactly what was going to happen. And that really bothered me. There were a couple of scenes, a uh, couple of directions the film went that uh, that I kind of got that same feeling. I, I did have an issue with that scene. So I'm just going to call him Cheedy. Uh, yes. The actor's <laughs> name is, is, is William Jackson Harper. William Jackson Harper. Yeah. yeah. So Cheedy, he knows what's going to happen. And he it, it's confirmed to him that it's going to be real and not like a ceremonial pantomime. And he's just kind of smug about it. He's, he's basically like, oh, you'll see. And then he's horrified when it actually happens. So does he really know what's... I mean, I, was, I wasn't I was sure where they were going with that, where he seems kind of smug about it, and then it's just a surprise when exactly what he was told or his research is going to happen, happens. I find it interesting that... Uh, I mean, this was coming off... Uh, or this came out before, I think, the final season of uh, The Good Place, uh, which is uh, you know uh, probably a long and interesting conversation at some point. Uh but uh, I, 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 find ass- it... I assume we're all fans of the good place. 
uh, oh, best yeah. uh, half hour comedy I have ever seen. Yes, agreed. Uh, per- period, full stop, no qualifiers. Uh, I find it interesting that in the midst of that iconic role as an academic, uh, William Jackson Harper is in this as basically a borderline sociopath. He's the <laughs> an- he's the anti cheaty in this movie. Uh, he's uh, 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 like like uh, like goes the line from the director's cut: an opportunistic anth- uh, anthropology student, which is a weird position to be in in the first place. But uh, you know his. Uh, I, I I mean, particularly on second viewing, I did see a lot of the bones a bit more acutely when I knew what was going to all uh, when I already knew what was going to happen. But I think that actually made it more interesting uh, for me. This is uh, as much as anything else. The thought that I kept coming back to watching it this second time was uh, amongst all of the other interesting things that, uh, that this picture does. It is an absolute outright guerrilla assault on pseudo-enlightened, uh, neoliberal, academic, cultural relativism. Uh, and I say this as, as uh, I, I'm, I'm, I am liberal as fuck uh, just in general. Uh, at the same time, I'm not so liberal that it interferes with my sense of self-preservation. Um, <laughs> th- this could almost make an interesting double feature with something like, uh, like uh, uh, The Green Inferno or Cannibal Holocaust, one of those... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, um, cannibal movies where you know you're you know going to see and uh, and uh, unblemished culture and it turns out that unblemished culture will fuck you up <laughs> i haven't seen either of those and i don't plan to so do not add those to my pile no i am not adding those to your pile i have no those interest are, those those are not films that i would for uh, that i that i would force on someone just to see what they thought of it knowing that they would not like it one tiny little bit no that, that i've was... i've seen I, i've seen certain Infamous images from uh, Cannibal Holocaust. I don't uh, need to see that. That's probably enough. Yeah. Yeah. I would say no, so. They're, that's, yeah, that, they're that, not particularly that, good films anyway. I, I, I there, there is a certain fearsome audacity, particularly to a Cannibal Holocaust, that I actually appreciate. It, uh, I, I do find it genuinely horrifying, which is kind of uh, tricky for films of that era to really pull off. But, you know, leaving that aside, uh, we're talking about Midsommar. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. I was about to go off on Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, <laughs> I Something I noticed uh, while watching the film is how lovingly Ari Aster, the director, seems to treat his uh, his gore. He really, really likes a lingering shot on, on gore, and it's almost shot similarly to uh, a romance scene, in a way. And I noticed that in Hereditary as well. Um but it was really on display here, in my opinion, uh, especially with the uh, the face bashing uh, of the old oh. man. So I consider the whole cliff scene, I'm, I, I know I'm not as seasoned with horror as you guys are, but I consider that whole sequence the most graphic violence I have ever seen in a film. Like I'd that... say... I'd say the face smashing is right up there with a similar bit done with a fire extinguisher in Irreversible, which is a movie oh. I don't ever want to see again. Yeah, agreed. That's a hard film. That's a hard film. Uh, no, the, the uh, well, I mean, the, the one of the things that gets me about uh, about uh, the movie is everything is absolutely meticulous. I would love to see a book of uh, just the designs for the sets. Uh, in uh, in midsummer, the uh, all, all of that 
stuff on the walls in all of the buildings is uh, uh, just amazing. But the, uh, the you know the visual design of the movie is absolutely meticulous, and that extends to the gore as well. Uh, I, I believe I read or saw a video somewhere where essentially everything that happens in the movie or is going to happen is illustrated somewhere in on the set. Oh yeah, like either, either yes, in that, yes. that opening shot or somewhere on the walls uh, within that big that big house where they're all sleeping. Like it's all it's all just on display there. That that may be where speaking the language of the film kind of became a detriment for me when watching the film because a lot of the foreshadowing. Uh, made it feel predictable to me, uh, although it was foreshadowing. This is one of those movies that, uh, it's like I say, I liked it the first time that I saw it, but I loved it this time, and I think a lot of the reason for that was kind of like how I didn't like uh, Shutter Island the first time that I saw it, when I was waiting for the twist, and the twist ended up being the twist that I was expecting it to be, and that was going to be disappointing. But in the absence of uh, the twists, the uh, like knowing what's going to happen, uh, I think made me appreciate it more. Just the, you know, sort of the not just the meticulous way that everything is kind of you know foreshadowed and uh, built in, but uh, just uh, the the sheer aesthetic pleasure of the film as much as anything else. It is beautiful. Yes, when I'm when I'm not worried about what's going to happen, you get to concentrate on uh, all of the ancillary details that I think in this case really uh, uh, go to make the picture. Yeah, I think one thing I both liked and didn't like about the movie is the um, the way some of the dialogue is handled in the movie is, is very meticulous and, and sort of awkward in a very realistic way. Just a lot of discussions that characters have. It, it feels real, but at the same time, it also goes on forever. So I'm like, okay, this movie is already long. Now we're having this super long discussion about whatever, and it's it's kind of mundane, but feels real. So I, So it's... The attention to detail there is nice, but also I felt like the pacing was, it would just come to a dead halt sometimes. Like when um the main guy, Christian, I think. Yeah, Christian. Chris, just decided. And what, per- and what a perfect name for, you know, the the, the uh, uh, ultimate uh, victim of a movie about a pagan cult. Yeah. <laughs> a little on the nose, but yeah. yeah. But, you know, like his discussion with Chidi about suddenly wanting to make his thesis about this place and like little scenes like that, I felt that that felt like real academic assholery. Right. I actually thought that was you know very in character and very perfect for these characters because, for the most part, they're all kind of horrible. Yeah, um, I think yeah. that that's something I kind of maybe take a little bit of issue with uh, is that I didn't find anybody to be likable, and I know that the uh, at least the four guys are kind of meant to be. Well, three of them are meant to be unlikable. Uh, one of them is meant to be likable, but turns out to be unlikable. I guess. Is uh, he though? Is he? Is Christian supposed to be like? Are you talking about Christian? As no, a I'm talking about. One? I'm talking about Pele. Uh, you think he's? Oh, li- Pele. He's, okay. He's likable for for most of the film. Uh, it continues to be throughout the whole film. He's very he's very nice, um, but he just happens to belong to a murder cult. Uh, but Christian is a horrible human being. He's just he's just terrible all around. There's nothing redeeming about him. Mark completely spineless. Yeah. Mark is is also kind of irredeemable. He's he's boring and and just a lout. Um and then Cheedy is is 
he was my favorite. Josh. He's the one who at least he's the one who he's the one who at least felt like a serious academic, albeit right. the kind that you don't want to encourage. Uh, <laughs> all things being equal. Yeah, he's the he's from the Indiana Jones school of academics. <laughs> with, with his late night break in. I thought they were going to do more with uh, with the uh, disabled uh, child who was writing their Bible, uh, other than having having that person be in like three shots. I thought something well, more was going to come from that. Wasn't wasn't she wearing the one guy's face uh, when Chidi broke in? I thought she was, was, was watching was... from her bed. No, no, that was the sex scene. That was the sex scene. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm actually given the hairstyles in this movie. I'm not actually convinced uh, whether or not that uh, that child is male or female. But uh, I I only said she because Shane did. <laughs> oh, I'm, so, I mean, I don't know. I'm honestly not sure, but uh, I don't know. A- after after some of the stuff that happened in Hereditary, I th- I, I I kind of find it agreeable that uh, that Aster took it a little easy on the uh, on uh, the developmentally challenged. This yeah, time. yeah, that is true. I I That's... just. Yeah. <laughs> now this is uh, th- this is what we would call a rough movie. Um, <laughs> a- a- any way you slice it, you know wh- whether or not uh, uh, you like it, uh, it is at the same time, given that it is working with uh, sort of the existing tropes of uh, folk horror, which is probably a broader subject that we should spend a few minutes on here in its own right. But I, I can absolutely see why. When Martin Scorsese was talking shit about the Marvel movies, which you know, we'll leave aside the fact that. He shouldn't have been doing that. But even so, one of the uh, directors that he pointed to where he was always interested in what that person was going to be doing next was Ari Aster, which is interesting because uh, he's only made uh, two features and they're both really fearsome horror movies, which, you know, I, I can see... I can see Scorsese liking horror movies, but I can't see him being like particularly advertising it. Well, just look at his first short film, the one where he's where the uh, uh, the the shaving. You've, uh, Wait, is have that you seen the that? one with the father? Is that the one with the father and son? No, it's just a guy shaving, and he just starts cutting oh. his face, and blood is going everywhere. He's always been a big fan of the uh, of the red stuff. The, the the short that got him like notoriety was he made a, a short about a son who was sexually abusing his dad. Whoa! <laughs> I haven't was, seen that. That was like a that was like a I, student film he made that got him a lot of notice in the early. I, I think I it's called. Not, uh, is this Aster or Scorsese? This is, this is Aster. <laughs> oh, no, Scorsese. Okay. I was talking about Scorsese. Oh, Scorsese was the shaving. One. Oh, sorry, I thought you were talking about Ari Aster. Yeah, yeah, that's no, why Scorsese I was saying... did not, Scorsese did not make a movie about a son abusing sexually abusing his father. Okay, yeah. Scorsese has gotten close to horror movies a couple of times. But he's never really had a full throated uh, uh, embrace of it, either in his work or. Uh, in his uh, his public pronouncements, except for that one, for that one, which on the one hand was overall a risable statement, on the other hand, you know, nice shout out to Aster there. <laughs> he got pretty close with uh, Cape Fear. He got pretty close yeah. with Cape Fear. He got uh, pretty close with Shutter Island, although that was sort of a different style. That was a, sort of an older school uh, horror movie. And I, but, I think uh, Bringing Out the Dead had some sort of. I don't know about, about eh, horror, but no, that's, uh, it's been that... a while since I've seen it, though. I, I don't know. My impression of that movie was that I think it had a ghost in it or something. I don't remember. Like, I, I think remember... Nicolas Cage was seeing a ghost or something like that while he was driving around. I remember a little bit of uh, of uh, Bringing Out the Dead. I thought I, I did think it was a really good movie, and of course I adore Nicolas Cage, but um, I don't remember a ghost. I do remember Rise Up, I'll Be Bangin'. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I remember that shot that was done in reverse 
uh, there's a beautiful tracking shot he did in that film entirely in reverse and had all the actors doing their performances in reverse to look straight, but the snow that's in the scene looks like it's coming, moving up instead of down. It's a really jarring sequence. I don't remember. I need to see that movie again because I always thought it was rather underrated as well. But uh... Yeah, I think I saw it when it first came out. I, I do remember liking it, though. I've got it on disc, but I have so many things on disc. <laughs> so, <Anyway>. back back <laughs> to Midsummer. Back to Midsummer. <laughs> um, was there a likable character in this film? And I, I would even put Danny up there as, as I'm not sure if she was particularly likable so much as she was our main character. Danny, no, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you Ed, on that. Uh, Danny recalls uh, the, the, the famous three rules of Nelson Algren. Uh, and th- this is not in any way to, uh, to let Christian off the hook for being an absolute dick. But uh, Nelson Algren's three rules famously were never uh, play cards with a man called Doc, never eat at a place called Mom's, never sleep with a woman whose troubles are worse than your own. <laughs> uh, and, and so, uh, I mean, when Christian is trying to weasel his way out of, uh, out of the relationship at the beginning of the movie before anything's even happened, it's an indication that it's already uh, a, a kind of baked-in toxic relationship. And to a great extent, I think the movie does have a long sort of lingering subtext, not uh, as well as the text, uh, about sort of the uh, the structure of uh, toxicity in relationships, not just uh, you know r- romantic, but you know cultural, religious, etc. I basically, basically, I don't think that she's actually in any better a position at the end of the movie than she is at the beginning. She's just kind of happy about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to see what her next day is like. Like, is she just part of the society now? That's what I got from it. I, I figured that she found her new family, basically. Yeah, even if her new family is you know, absolutely nightmarish, you know, you know, she's uh, she she's not exactly the cleanest drink of water in her own right. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, they were made for each other. <laughs> I really feel that if you would if. If they had lost a lot of the beginning stuff, I would have liked this movie a lot more because it really put me in a sour mood from the get-go. I, I actually will allow that I started uh, the director's cut last night and uh, I ended up uh, uh, getting drowsy right around uh, the bit of the old couple uh, stepping off the um, uh, the cliff. And so that was where I picked it up today. So basically I saw you know the first hour yesterday and the last two hours today, and that might have... Uh, made the whole thing uh, a bit more agreeable as well because the pacing does really pick up in the last two hours of the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think I, I timed it. It takes them 33 minutes to get to Sweden, which is quite a long time. And most of what you learn from from those opening scenes, you're told anyway later in the film. Like, just by one-off little things, like uh, she has panic attacks, she is taking medication for them, Uh uh, Christian is a dick to her. Mark is a dick as well. Like all of this stuff happens within the film after that opening, and that's all we learn from the opening is is that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think for me, like a lot of that opening stuff, that's sort of the conversations I was talking about, where the dialogue is you know is effective and works, but at the same time, it's like, do we really need thirty three minutes of this before we even get to the location where this movie is set? So burning a bit too slow at the front end for you guys. Yeah. That's a good way to and put actually, it. Interestingly, so I saw this at my brother's house, and he's way more horror averse than even I am. 
he would never ever uh, voluntarily watch a movie. I happen to be an hour into the movie, literally right when they're about to jump off the cliff. And I told my brother, I'm going to, you know, my brother has three kids now, so they went to bed early. I said, I'll watch it after you go to bed, or I'll continue to watch after you go to bed. He decided to come down just out of morbid curiosity to see how much he could sit through. So he happened to sit, watch that one scene, and they, they, they jump off the cliff. The woman smashes her face. It's horrible. And I'm like, it's not over yet. The other guy jumps off. They show his leg. It's gross. I'm like, it's not over yet. Guy shows up with a mallet, hits him once. Not over yet. Then close up, hits him again. I'm like, okay, now it's over. And he just sat there silently. And he sat through the rest of the movie. Uh, he didn't say anything except... During the sex scene, which is a really awkward scene to watch with your brother, uh, when, the, when, when Christian's pumping away and the lady comes up and starts singing or something, he just started chortling. And then when Danny sees it, and then she starts screaming, and all the women, I guess, start screaming along with her, he just goes, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> and, and uh, So at this point, he's seen uh, a good... He's you know, seen hour, and a ha- hour and a half to hour and 45 minutes of uh, of a movie that he still can't make head or tail of. Right, but but he asked me what he missed in the first hour, and I said, you know, honestly, not that much. You you pretty much got it. So he, I was like, you've pretty much seen this movie. Congratulations, you you made it through. And he was just like, all right, well, it wasn't scary, but what the fuck, it was weird. I, I think it's, it's one of the things I would definitely class as more disturbing than scary. I yeah. I will say something positive. Uh, that scene where where Danny's having the panic attack after seeing Christian and all the women are are uh, kind of breathing in and out with her and screaming and whatnot, I found incredibly cathartic. Um, it, it reminded me of uh, certain psychological techniques uh, when working with a therapist, where when you have your panic attack, the p- other people in group can uh, can breathe with you and have the panic attack with you. So it kind of dissipates throughout the c- crowd. It's a really interesting thing, and I really liked that it was in the movie. I, I did think that that was an amazing moment. I think uh, that actually balances an equation uh, because, of course, uh, uh, Danny's particular field was psychology, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So she, she probably you know got her mind around what they were doing, but she was with it. She was she was she was down. Yeah. No, I I, I did think that that was an incredibly cathartic scene in its own right, as well as sort of the. Uh, you know the screaming and gnashing of teeth uh, when they uh, they burn the building down at the end of the picture. It's a similar sort of uh, catharsis. I, can I say as much as anything else? Uh, how freaking amazing! Even as an unlike, as a not particularly likable character, how freaking amazing uh, is Florence Pugh? She's uh, very I, good. I I know the I know the the thing that I said multiple times on Bastards is is it too early to start talking about the great Florence Pugh, <laughs> uh, but uh, her grimace of sadness in this movie the the thing that she does with her face every time she gets upset. It is just one of the most amazing bits of physical acting uh, I, I think I've ever seen. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it's 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 a little broad, but it's perfect. It conveys everything. Je, uh, Jess described it as the Amy pout. <laughs> no, that that works. <laughs> uh, but no, it's it. One it, it, uh, another thing, probably probably worth noting, is how incredibly brave uh, all of the actors are in this. Uh, you don't see full frontal male nudity a lot. Yeah, especially yeah. especially with, and I didn't notice this the first time, but I noticed this on the blood. second. Uh, yeah, blood on the dick. Yep, yep, you know? yep. 
Yeah, virginal vir- blood. Got that virgin blood on his I st- junk. <laughs> I started thinking about that. I was like, who, who in the makeup department had to do that? Like, what was that day like? Did they just have a conversation while he was getting his dick painted? Like, what's? I want to know the backstory on uh, the behind-the-scenes information on uh, on the blood dick. And my favorite part of the sex scene was the uh, when the the one lady came and, and started helping. Yes. I don't I don't know how else to describe it. She gave him a couple pushes to help him out, and uh, she was, oh, really, that, was uh, that was the funniest moment of the movie for me. <laughs> I don't know if it was meant to be funny, but. Uh, g- considering that smile, th- that slightly gap to smile that she gives him at the end of the scene, I'm thinking that there's a little bit of low-key humor in there. It is apparently considered a black comedy in Sweden. I can absolutely see that. You know, it's kind of like the, you know, uh, the, the Newfoundlanders, uh, when they see the shipping news, laugh their asses off. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, if you get it, you get it. I was going to say this movie is actually very close to adding uh, rural Sweden to my list of places we do not go. But then, of course, I, uh, I, I realized in the credits uh, that it was primarily shot in Hungary. So, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, does anybody have any uh, final thoughts on Midsummer before we take our break? Well, like I say, we we definitely need to talk more about folk horror in general. Uh, oh, like well. I say, I think, uh, uh, but uh, we can save that uh, for the for the next half. But no, I, I, as I say, I think this is uh, an amazing movie. If uh, if back in the day they uh, they uh, referred to uh, the Wicker Man as the Citizen Kane of horror movies, and you know, by extension, the Citizen Kane of folk horror movies, this particularly in its last two thirds. Uh, gave me a little bit of a 2001 feeling. Uh, it doesn't quite have the same uh, the, the same sort of scope, but uh, the uh, the fact that for the last half hour of the, the movie, at least in the director's cut, uh, all of the set pieces, all of the flowers, all of the plants, everything is doing that hallucinatory breathing yeah. uh, thing. Yeah. And and were uh, people's eyes far apart too? Was, did it, was I imagining they, that they, some they of the fl- faces were off? They fluttered a little bit in some spots. Uh, yeah, yeah no, like I say, that's uh, a, a, an extraordinary, meticulous bit of technical modulation. Um, but I, I know, as I say, as much as anything else, it's you can be so wound. Uh, sort of, if I get anything from the movie, it's you can be so wound up in your own, you know, the toxicity of your situation or your own toxicity. You can, you know, your, you know, your head so far up your own ass or the ass of the one you're with. That it can, you know, blind you to. Oh yeah, you should have, you should have noped the fuck out when they gave you drugs without telling you about it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, you know, and also, you know, if it, it, you can, it also indicates that you can sell anything with a smile and a, a lie, I guess. Um, it's like, but they phrase it so nicely. Just here, come with me. It's like, guess he's still banging that girl. Oh, dude, he is not banging that girl. all right well i think uh we're gonna take our break there uh we will be right back Next up, we're going to be talking about Gareth Evans' Apostle. Gareth Evans, of course, being the director of The Raid, uh, which I haven't seen. It is currently on my pile. 
the raid oh. both both of the raid movies are on my pile actually okay so, I, uh, the, the raid is great i have i have i own the raid too have not seen it yet i heard it's very different from the first one but yeah it's a it's a great action movie definitely worth adding to the piles all right L- lending itself to the interesting uh, position of uh in the midst of the uh, the ongoing folk horror revival apostle is a folk horror movie from an action director yeah he, did, it, directed, he directed and, a segment of VHS 2, or, or is that what it was called? Yeah, he directed a horror segment in VHS 2, which was pretty horrifying. So right away, I knew this was, movie was not going to be a good time. <laughs> I, I mean that in a good way. I mean, with the opening credits, the music, the, the it look, looking like it was shot over an old leather couch. Uh, <laughs> anyways, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. I, this was on no, my pile. You're I good, hadn't seen you're good. It. Yep. <laughs> this was not on my pile. I, I had seen this before. I, I think I'm the one who brought this one up for the for the podcast. Uh, well, I, I certainly enjoyed rewatching it. I think it was yeah. uh, I think I was the one who recommended it to you in the first place. You were. Uh, you were. You did. Yeah, this was on my Halloween uh my Halloween marathon list for last year, but I believe it was you, Nate, who said that it, it kind of devolves into torture porn. Is this the movie you were talking about? I don't think so. I really it liked was this a different movie. One? Okay, there there was some movie that I wanted to watch, but you said it turned into torture porn at the end, so I didn't watch it. And I thought maybe it was this one. I it thought maybe you were it has some distinct moments of torture porniness. Yeah. Uh they that I I, I had left with the uh, uh, the memory that uh, they uh, they constituted more of the movie than they actually turned out to on this uh, on this rewatching. So, um, yeah, no, there, there there is definitely a little bit of that. Uh, I mean, uh, amongst other things, the sheer level of abuse that Dan Stevens' character goes through in this movie <laughs> is pretty impressive uh at the risk of jumping ahead you can see why the uh, why the island goddess uh, uh, uh was into him because he can take some shit <laughs> yeah, he, he, he didn't really seem that slowed down after his hands got ground up in that device he just i, I kind of forgot that it even happened because it doesn't seem to bother him at all he just yeah. keeps on going along now the the man is siege mentality on toast, uh, and it, it was also this movie that uh, uh, I think I actually said to, uh, on uh, actually on my Facebook page at the time. Uh, uh, aside from saying that uh, this was the movie uh, that we would have uh, deserved as a revisitation slash reboot of The Wicker Man had we list, lived just lives, <laughs> uh, and also further evidence that Dan Stevens is the latter day Anthony Hopkins. Uh, <laughs> I, I think his performance in this is a beautiful, again, beautifully modulated is the uh, the phrase that kept coming to mind. It is a severely controlled detonation of a performance. Oh, or yeah. Something that uh, I think somebody once said about Rooney Mara in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which, frankly, I didn't particularly agree with. Uh, I Well, I agree with it here with Dan Stevens. That, the way he delivers that that one line that's in the trailer, the uh, false pro- uh, beware false prophets uh, uh, coming in sheep's clothing, that, that quote, uh, the way he delivers it is just magnificent. Yeah, th- th- this is a character who is working his ass off to spit out any word that he says, because if he starts talking, he's going to just fucking kill everybody. That's <laughs> that's the feeling that I get uh, from this character. Yeah, I think his uh, the back of his jaw did like 90% of his acting. I think he, he spent <laughs> the entire movie with his, with his teeth clenched, just forcing words through his clenched teeth. Uh, again, a physically exquisite uh, performance. 
of uh, you know somebody who is you know seriously getting his his affairs messed with. Uh, I think the phrase that uh, that you sent uh, to me like halfway through watching this, uh, Nate, uh, after I, I had recommended initially, is like, is this? I forget the exact phrasing, but is this? A movie about a drug addicted monk uh, going to an island to fuck up a fungus cult. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> to w- yep. To, to which my response was, you know, with a big grin, yeah. <laughs> at which you, at which point you responded, awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm very. I love this movie. I really do. Even, even though it has some stuff in it that normally in movies would quite bother me. Uh, it. it I think. I think one of the things I really like about it is. Dan Stevens' character himself feels so different from your typical uh, folk horror character. He's he's in there to wreck shit, and he himself is wrecked. And that doesn't usually happen. Usually when you have the fish out of water, the fish out of water slowly realizes what's going on. Dan Stevens doesn't particularly care what's really going on. He's just, he has a mission, and God damn it, he's going to get through that mission. And in, in the meantime, he's uh, counterbalanced on the other side by the always wonderful Michael Sheen as uh, a character that uh, uh, I, I would describe as uh, Lord Summerisle if he were a completely incompetent businessman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how stupid an idea is it uh, to you know, kidnap a rich girl uh, and, and then leave the, uh, uh, the, the, the person bearing the money, no option but subterfuge to even end up in the situation in the first place. But it feels completely organic for the character. It did seem odd that the one thing they were after this whole time was just money. They just wanted some cash. (laughs) I kind of... I, 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 maybe stop feeding the wrong charnel to the uh, to the fungus goddess, <laughs> dude. <laughs> I, I generally enjoyed this movie. I did have some issues with the plotting. It felt like so going into this coming off of Midsummer and in the Wicker Man, you know, immediately I thought, okay, I know what's going on. The sister's in on it. They're trying to lure him over there, and there are a lot of scenes like that where you think you know what's happening, and then it goes in a totally different direction. And at, there were points where it felt like the only thing they really had in mind was to set up something and then go the other way. Like there's a scene where, you know, almost right away they know there's uh, there's an imposter on the, on the island. So it's like, oh, this is going to be like a cat and mouse game. He's going to go into hiding. And then he, um, there's a scene in the church where they all have to recite uh, from the scripture. And, you know, just when Dan Stevens is about to get fucked, it turns out there's another imposter and he saves Michael Sheen's life. So I'm thinking, oh, so he's now trusted. He's going to rise high in, in Michael Sheen's councils. That's Sheen's how this... shit is so fucked up that he never really gets a chance to trust him. Right. But then, <laughs> yeah, but, but then right after that, Michael Sheen decides, let's search everyone's room. And they, they find out stuff and they have Dan Stevens dead to rights. And we're like half an hour in. I'm like, where's this movie going to go now? So, you know, they set up this whole thing where Dan Stevens has his trust and then immediately he's outed. So there were a lot of points like that where it it seemed like they were just trying to subvert what we were expecting. Um, So that to me, so to me, the plotting at at certain points felt a little clunky. So it didn't it didn't ruin the movie for me, but that was definitely something I noticed while I was watching this. You could see the turning of the gears. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I could no, always, I, I, I could definitely see that a bit on uh, on this rewatching as well. But uh, the 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 things just thrusts ahead with such abject gusto uh, that I don't think it particularly uh, uh, bothered me even on uh, even on rewatching. 
It's kind of a controlled chaos in a way. Yeah, and, and unlike the Wicker Man or Midsummer, I could not see any convincing, compelling reason why anyone would would want to live here. The place is just a hellhole from the very start. Like at least with Midsummer, it's like this utopia. The Wicker Man, there's like naked women everywhere, so seem to just want to please you. Here, it's just dirty and dark, and everyone seems miserable. Um, I, th- I think they do kind of. Uh, uh go through that with the the woman who comes up uh who is has been arrested in the past for vagrancy um you wonder if a lot of homeless people end up on this island yeah no the idea of uh, of uh, not not having to pay for anything at least for a little while uh is uh definitely feels like a point of appeal at, at the same time even just as the movie is beginning the cracks are starting to seri- seriously show through which, which again is one of the reasons I like Sheen's performance uh, so uh, so much. Just as a guy who is feeling the walls clo- closing in, he is absolutely desperate for something, anything to uh, you know make affairs turn his way. And of course, ultimately, you know things just go from bad to worse, and it's spectacular. <laughs> yeah, like what I found really interesting was unlike Midsummer, like Midsummer, for instance, you never see any of the uh, the commune people have any conversations that don't involve the main characters. You never ha- you never see a candid conversation between any characters. Here, characters have their own agendas. They have their own worries. Of course, because everything's going to hell. That was something I sort of loved uh, about uh, Midsummer, particularly about uh, on rewatching, is that all of these rituals are still going on in the background, even when our focus when we're focusing on uh, the Americans in the foreground. It's just they're all going about you know this thing or that thing or another thing, and you know maybe that tree that they're working on in this one shot uh, reappears later on, and maybe something else that uh, they're they're futzing around with in the background doesn't. Uh, but uh, the, in, in this case, the, the little Romeo and Juliet subplot, uh, who did oh. not expect that to go the way that it did. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's one of the things that you would think that uh, I would hate that. I, I usually don't like anything involving pregnant women getting killed or anything like that. But I feel like this movie did it with... Uh, uh, they didn't they didn't it wasn't gross they they have a quick shot of her you know what's happened you get the idea it doesn't go for the gore out gross out uh horror moment it just it's very it's not subtle but it gets its message across very very quickly it, it leans into the tragedy of it but it also leans into uh, into it as basically the reveal of the actual villain of the film which is uh uh, one of the three quote-unquote brothers who escaped from prison that time. Well, it turns out that it was probably a pretty frickin' good idea that he was in prison in the first place. Uh, Quinn, I guess, who I forget the actor's name, but he, he's everywhere. He's one of those faces that you keep seeing over and over again uh, in, in British pictures. I, I almost felt like some of this stuff that was going on in the island... Or it was an island, right? Yeah, yeah it was an island. Yeah. So, some of these characters... A lot of this would have happened even without Dan Stevens. Like the whole Romeo and Juliet thing, the fact that Quinn was quietly harboring this resentment and, you know, maybe not, maybe not openly planning a power play or takeover, but he was definitely, as soon as the opportunity arose, he took it with gusto. So, I mean, obviously Dan Stevens, his character had an impact on things, but a lot of these things would have just happened anyways. Yeah. So he almost became sort of a passive observer of some of these, some of these goings on on the, on, on this island 
I, w- uh, I, I would mean, agree with that. I, my, I, that's part of why Michael Sheen's staging the kidnapping and everything is this place is fucked anyway. And Frank even notes, says it later in the film. He's like, this place is already dead. Uh, you just don't get it yet. And of course, Frank ends up dead, but. Yeah, you don't see a lot of uh, movies about cultists where the cult is already in its end stage, um, <laughs> so, which makes this in a, in a lot of ways after years and years and years of uh, movies about cultists or folk horror pictures in general, uh, where, you know, most of the time, you know, the uh, the, uh, the uh, you know, the, the, the pagan forces or what have you, uh, the, the cult forces usually come out on top uh or you know the 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 old gods come out on top or mother nature comes out on top or you know freaking loki's offspring if you've ever (laughs) seen the ritual uh which is another good example of this sort of thing on netflix uh oh that's the one is that the torture porn one no, no, that, that no, actually it, that one. Oh no, no, have, I, I I've seen the ritual. Never mind, that's not the one either. Sorry. Yeah. It, it it had uh, it, like a lot of these movies. It had uh, some moments like that, but I, I I don't remember it particularly leaning into that sort of thing. But it, it uh, had a cool ass monster. It had a cool ass monster, uh, but uh, yeah, most of the time, our hero at best is uh, is lucky to get out alive, and more often, you know, the hero or heroes uh, end up uh, in. You know, uh, well, I don't know. You know, uh, going for their uh, for their appointment with the wicker man, so to speak. Um, so, in in some ways, I find this a very cathartic picture, just because you know he accomplish or, uh, Dan Stevens accomplishes the mission that he set out to do. Uh, he you know he freed his sister, uh, and uh, in, in doing so, feels a measure of release and redemption i guess from uh his failure as a missionary uh yeah actually i was reading the wikipedia synopsis just to review and in the synopsis it says his faith is restored i don't i didn't quite get that i don't i I didn't get that but that that smile that he has at the end uh as you know you know tendrils of uh of uh, the island are 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 are, you know slipping into his cheeks and, and and shit like that uh, there's a very deep satisfaction to it. Mm-hmm. I would like to know how you guys interpret the ending, because I think it's open for interpretation. I would agree that it's definitely open for interpretation. Um, I, mean, I guess the simple answer is that, you know, he takes over as the the guardian protector of the island or whatever, the, the sort of goddess role. I mean, that's a very simple way of, of, of looking at it, I guess. That that was kind of the feeling that I got. Uh, yeah, uh, me too. Possibly even that the goddess herself was um, sort of previously in the same position, that she was once human, but whatever the island is uh, ended up, you know, occupying her. And so, you know, since she's dead, it needs a, a, a new sort of avatar or host or something to that extent. He becomes Hurley. <laughs> For any Lost fans out there. Uh, any that I, are I, left. I also find it amusing and weirdly satisfying that uh, that Sheen uh, didn't die. That uh, you know, I mean, half of everybody else is dead. Everybody else is left. But you know, at the end, you know, they're uh, on the cliff. Is just you know, Sheen somewhat fucked up, and and Dan Stevens somewhat fucked up, just sitting there. Like you know, it's one of those points where they've just completely run out of attitude. It's uh, just oh, you're still alive. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, well, you, you mentioned this, that this is like an end of cult movie. I think for that reason, the casting of Michael Sheen is brilliant because he starts out as this sort of teeth gnashing, uh, scene chewing, prophet type person. But you know, when you hire Michael Sheen, you want him to bring some of his humanity and warmth to it, and you really get that when he, you know, when he's begging Frank not to leave, and when you, when you see stuff crumbling around him, he's no longer that sort of uh, the, the the man at the pulpit, just you know, raining down fire and. And, yeah, and, it's it's the cult leader as a pathetic figure, which is yeah. interesting and unusual, and, and sort of empathetic in some ways. I mean, not entirely. He's still responsible for a lot of horrible shit. Yeah, I but... mean, he's he's done some some seriously foul wet work, but uh, you know, at this point, this is you know everything he was trying to do, you know, fucked. All of his people gone, and now he's on an island that, like, is not is probably going to eat him in another half an hour. <laughs> It's a good place for the movie to end. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like I like the ending a lot. I, I like the two of them together. It's a very I, I find it to be a very quiet moment, kind of like the end of a, it's like the the end of a convention, like Sunday at a convention when everybody's leaving and there's yeah there's just yeah. you and a couple of maybe a handful of other people and everybody's splitting away. That's what it felt like to me. It's a moment of pure shell shock. I yeah. Like, okay, let's let's start parsing our post traumatic stress for a moment. <laughs> I I will say the one thing that disappointed me at the end is that we that we never got the satisfaction of Quinn knowing that the goddess had burned. He dies before he finds that out. And that was his whole sort of claim to fame that he's the one who found her. He's the one who who he thinks the island owes everything to him because of that goddess, and he never finds out that she died. I do really love the glorious overkill of Quinn's death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it was horrible, but yes. He yeah. doesn't just get strangled. He gets slit down the sternum. It's, yeah. And he was a foul enough character that, uh, that uh, again, that too was deeply, deeply satisfying. And then he turns Dan Stevens into Jesus by stabbing him in the side. <laughs> yeah. Good old Shiv job. Like I say... He was in prison for a reason. Him escaping from prison was not a good thing. <laughs> I I kind of got the feeling that he did know that the that the woman was dead or had been burned because everything else was burning around him. And I think that moment of recognition was dawning on him just as Dan Stevens started pummeling him. I don't think he had to. I, again, uh, the movie barrels forward so propulsively that uh, I think even the characters like Quinn don't have time to really fully digest or articulate some of the stuff that happens. But I mean, I, I mean, I mean, seriously, if you're, if you're running to the boat and a chunk of a cliff explodes and bleeds beside you, that's uh, well, that's a, that's a solid signal to you don't say what's happening. You say you, you get on the fucking boat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there there was, okay, in several movies I've seen this shot, but this is what finally, this movie made me want to actually talk about it. The, sh the shot in almost every movie these days of the camera spinning around so the whole world goes upside down. Uh, they have that during the uh, the drill sequence when the kid's being taken away. The whole camera gets turned upside down. They do the same thing in the Peking sequence uh, when Dan Stevens is be uh, is about is being dragged in to be branded, and they do it in Midsummer when uh, they're driving into uh, driving to, in Sweden, and, and the camera moves all the way around till the world is upside down as they're entering the where the other kids are at the commune. Um, 
and I remember seeing it as well in uh, Synchronic recently. Uh, the whole camera turns upside down to make it look like the city is is falling. Might be one of those. Might be one of those secret handshakes uh, that's going around between cinematographers or something like that. Well, they've shown their hand. <laughs> We're on to you guys. <laughs> No, I, I, one of the things that got me on the reviewing Apostle was how many Dutch angles there are in the movie in general, and I am here for that. I like Dutch angles. Yeah. I think they're under. I think they're underappreciated. I, I think my favorite shot in the film is the one where uh, where it's the point of view of the uh, of the screw that's being screwed into Jeremy's head uh, when when he's being uh, his head is being held down by uh, whatever those things are clamps. Uh, and the camera ticks up uh, for each screw that's going on. I really liked that it took the characterization of a set piece. I you very rarely see see that. I thought I might have to stop watching the movie at that point when the drill bit touched the scalp. Uh, luckily, they, you know, Gareth Evans showed some restraint and didn't actually show it going in. And uh, there was a shot of them pulling it out, which was fairly horrifying. But, the um, hair, the hair sticking to that thing. Yeah. No, it, it it is it is a sweaty movie. This uh, movie has a very tactile quality that uh, you don't get uh, from a whole lot of uh, of uh, horror movies in general. Uh, everybody's sweaty. Most people are kind of dirty, uh, a, a, except for the uh, for uh, the the one unblemished heroine. Uh, I guess uh, Michael Sheen's daughter. Andrew. Yeah, I, I bet that entire island smells bad. Who would want to live there? <laughs> it does and look Andrea, disgusting. It's like a Ren Fair. <laughs> Andrea was the you know the most you know fleshed out female character, but she seems even when we start, she seems rebellious in ways that should have just gotten her killed already. You know, she definitely is has her own um, she has her own agenda, and she definitely has her own her own mind, which. In a place like this, seems like it would be a no-no. Seems like she would be be flagged for punishment or something right away. Well, she has some cover uh, from uh, from her father, of course, and also uh, we got this distinct impression that uh, Sheen usually does not uh, let her see how uh, how they make the bread, so to speak. Um, yeah, she did seem kind of naive in that department. But even so, she also seems like the only character on the island who is clean, which is probably both a deliberate philosophical choice as well as a uh, a uh, deliberate stylistic choice. But yeah, the uh, the the execution of this, I mean, even the boards inside uh, the the lodging houses look like they were just varnished and never dried. There is uh, a a drippy quality to it all. Uh, which makes it uh, again much more visceral than most folk horror movies in general. No, the uh, the scene where he's he's pulling himself through the river of gore, and and all sorts of disgusting crap when he first sees the uh, the the nature goddess. Um, that scene is disgusting. Yeah. Oh yeah. And claustrophobic. Hi, hi, highly yeah. effectively so on both counts. Yeah, for someone who avoided the descent for years, that scene was kind of a nightmare for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it was fine, but it was very effective. When he starts running away from the goddess, it wasn't clear which way he was running. I'm like, is he just running back to where Michael Sheen's waiting for him? But no, it turns out he was somehow running deeper into the uh, whatever that river of muck was. But it, I mean, it was a cool shot. It just for me, I was just a little bit freaked out. Well, as I can say, is the movie is both literally and figuratively 
extremely visceral, uh, which again is unusual, uh, an unusual way to make a folk, a folk horror movie. And I think it's 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 really cool, even as it squicks you out from moment to moment. That's that's the del- that's the deliberate effect. That's that's feature, not bug in this case. <laughs> I think if uh, if I were gonna ding anything, um, my big complaint was we didn't get to figure out what the hell was going on with the gimp character. The beehive guy. Yeah, the beehive guy. Uh, uh, Wikipedia calls him the grinder. Um, Nef- Netflix just subtitled him as creature, like creature growls. Like, was he part of, did he come with the nature goddess? Was he part of her thing? Or was he just a guy from the town who was like, I'm a serial killer, put a beehive on my head, I'll grind up people. No, okay, I I actually just figured this out. Uh, Okay, at the end of the movie, uh, Dan Stevens is about to become the island's god. Michael Sheen is about to become his gimp. Ah, oh, they are a package deal. <laughs> that I could see that. I could definitely see that. Though no, that's that's my new head cannon on this picture. <laughs> <laughs> N- not not to break that head cannon, but uh, wouldn't the goddess have been able to get that gimp to do something to get her out of that situation if she controlled him? Well, that goes back to my earlier idea that both of them are actually the avatars for something else, which is the island itself. Yeah. Could could that could the gimp leave that hut? I don't know if he ever did. Uh, he's not. Yes, yes, he was actually in the background when uh, they were drilling into uh, Jeremy's head. Oh, he was. Oh, he was. Yes, I don't yeah. remember him there. Yeah. So he's he's sort of the uh, the agent of uh, the island's avatar. But uh, yeah, uh, no, that's 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 what I think at this point. Uh, but it, it the the island itself, I think, is uh, something uh, at the risk of you know shouting out to relatively obscure uh, British horror fiction. I think it's something a little bit like uh, the island from Robert Aikman's story, The Wine Dark Sea, which was well a, a living island that. Uh, was at the time occupied by, I think, the last of the living uh, uh, Greek gods. I forget exactly how the story went. What I particularly remember, though, was about, uh, you know, toward the end of the story, the island died, and uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the sea around it was, uh, was uh, you know, red with blood. Oh, which actually happens at the end of this movie, when the explosion happens and the uh, mountains run, the cliffs run red with blood. And I think, I think Evans is, uh, is uh, savvy enough that... Uh, I would almost consider that a deliberate reference, which I'm all for. I mean, Aikman is uh, one of my two favorite writers and uh, is you know, under-adapted and under-appreciated. Also noting that the mo- this movie itself is a little under-appreciated. I, I don't hear anybody talking about it particularly, and that I think is, uh, is a bit of a pity, uh, especially as uh, so many people uh, in, in horror circles uh, go on at great length uh, about uh, about folk horror these days. There's been a uh, there's been a Dragon Con panel on it that I've attended. I think each of the last three years. I mean, aside from last year, where you know that was all virtual and I never got around to any of it. For all I know, it was there anyway. Uh, but I, uh, I have noticed that uh, reading a lot of the user user reviews, you know, just normal people reviewing the movie, it seems to be very uh, divisive. Uh, with a lot of these these reviews, some people just absolutely loathe this film, and then some people just love it and sing its praises, uh, and very few are in between. 
Uh, I'm I'm one of the sing its praises kind of people. I think it's a great I think it's a great addition to the folk horror genre. I don't I don't I don't think it's the best, but I love it. I I love that it uh, uh, that it subverts a lot of the expectations of folk horror, and it really knows how to do it. it Gareth Evans obviously knows the genre inside and out, and I find that very interesting. But it is. Uh, you don't you don't hear it as um, as much about it, and it would be nice if more people would see it. Yeah, I think I I only knew about it because it was on my Netflix list just for searching for horror movies to watch during my marathon. I didn't even know it was Gareth Evans, and you know the raid was huge. You know people loved that movie, and I had no idea he had directed this. You know I think one of the issues maybe is that Dan Stevens' character, while it's a great performance, it's it's kind of hard to root for him. He's not he's not really likable. <laughs> he, he he's a little hard to identify with directly but uh, just knowing the tropes of the genre and detecting very early on that you know this this character is a hammer in search of a nail uh, i i was fascinated to see what uh, what he was going to do in this picture and i think i was definitely rewarded agreed yeah well um it's about time for us to close this out. Anybody have any final closing thoughts on uh, Apostle? Deserves a proper U.S. video release, which I think might be one of the reasons why uh, it's it's not more well known. Is at this point, I mean, yeah, it's freely available on Netflix, but it's freaking buried on Netflix. I want a physical copy of this that I can point to, that people can read the blurb on. Netflix that that happens a lot with Netflix doesn't especially with their movies and whatnot they they don't release anything I mean they release some things like Stranger Things very few things and uh, they they let uh, uh, they let the Criterion Collection get their hands on Roma and uh, and the Irishman but I'm still waiting for a freaking video release of I am the pretty thing that lives in the house so yeah I'm wait Nate didn't you hate that movie I did hate that movie Jenner knows that, though. We've had that discussion. No. We're cool. We're cool. I think I've had conversations with your mom about that movie, Nate. Oh, really? On, on Facebook. Yeah, we've I, I've discussed it with her on Facebook. <laughs> I didn't hate it. I, I, I didn't love it either. But. I didn't love it, but I really liked it. But even so, like I say, we, we, need, we need Netflix to, to give us proper video releases. We need Netflix to give us archive material. Because someday, we don't think it's going to happen any to, any, uh, anytime soon, but someday... Netflix is going to go down or be transformed, and a and if if they lose track or rights of their unreleased material, then it's gone. It's it's you know, you know it's subject to EMP at this point. <laughs> yeah, a good solar flare eliminates half of the last decade of film history. Oh Jesus. <laughs> That's uh, that's a sobering thought as we close out the episode. <laughs> Join us next week as we uh, shit in your cereal. Somebody piss in your cornflakes. <laughs> didn't didn't mean to leave on a down note. No, it's uh, fine. It's fine. Listen. Save physical media. Yeah. Hashtag save physical media. 
That should about do it for us on What's on the Pile. Join us next week for an Irwin Allen Spectacular with two of the most well-known disaster films in cinema history, The Poseidon Adventure, the story of a group of people trying to survive a capsized cruise liner, and The Towering Inferno, the story of a group of people trying to survive a burning building. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at What's on the Pile, or visit our website, whatsonthepile.com. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for hanging out.